3: Ronananian. Will it be affordable? How much will I have to pay for an electric car? And I said, well, that's kind of the key, right? Will there be that $20,000, $25,000 entry level electric vehicle that works?
4: Get your money
0: for nothing. Get your chicks for free.
3: The car doctor. The less expensive car is going to have 550 air conditioning. Roll the window down five inches, drive at 50 miles an hour.
0: Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive
3: repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. You, you know, if being at the shop every week tells me anything, it, it teaches me a lot. Because I learn things at the shop. You know, it's just it's just part of the gig of being a mechanic. Sometimes I learn it about the car. I see how a system operates. The car is telling me something different than what the service information tells me. And it's a learning adventure. And sometimes it's adventures in human relations because it's, you you know, and then sometimes it's, you think to yourself, how will that human relation interconnect with that vehicle? And it makes me think that, you know, and I think electric vehicles will work. I think the downfall of them after a while, I think they'll sort it out. and, And I just don't think we can do it all at once. But what I think about is, well, situations like this because i i think the problem is how people are going to relate to and connect to and take care of that electric vehicle when i look at how they take care of an internal combustion engine vehicle i had a 2006 jeep commander presented to me this week for an oil pressure light on simple enough the oil pressure lights on okay and you know i I went through the drill and uh Kind of an interesting vehicle. I checked oil level. Oil level was good, and the oil light wasn't on, and everything seemed okay, and I I talked to the customer, and the customer said, well, you know, why don't we put a sender in it? Because it's the cheapest thing you can put in it. He was the authority at this moment, and I kind of played along and said, okay, I have no problem with that. It's 16 years old. It's, you know, 100,000 miles. Uh, If it's not, I mean, we could always do a mechanical oil pressure test, too, but there was a money factor involved. We don't want to spend any money on this old car because it was an old car. All right, listen, you want me to screw a part in it? As long as I can, my choice where I can get the part so I know it's a quality piece and I'll play the game. Sometimes I do that. And we ordered a new sender out of the dealer and it showed up the next day. And as I was pulling it into the shop to change the sender, the light came on. Okay, good. Now I've got a broken car, something I can work with. And first thing I did was take the sender out, and I screwed in an oil pressure gauge. Hey, i got to diagnose it. And it had zero oil pressure. Well, not really. It, It started out at 25 pounds, and then as I revved it up, it would climb, and then all of a sudden it would fall and drop, and basically two pounds of pressure. All right, it's got no oil pressure. I don't know. Something made me think, let me just check level again. Maybe I read it wrong. And I still don't have an answer on what I might have missed, but sure enough, there was no oil on the dipstick. Nothing. Zero. This car had as much oil in it as Tom Ray has hair on his head. And if you've ever met Tom, that's not a lot. And we say that with love. Of course, working with me, I can't understand why he might have pulled it out all these years, but that's okay, too.
5: Yeah, well, you got that straight.
3: I understood that. So put three quarts of oil in it. Lots of sludge in this engine. The crankcase, you could see where the crankcase fill was. It was all coated with crud. So I did three quarts of oil, and I also put in a bottle of Liqui Moly, I think it's Liqui Moly 2007, their hydraulic lifter oil additive, which will help clean up the sludge and break down the crud. And I told the customer, look, you're going to bring it back in 500 miles. I want to change the oil and give this stuff a chance to work its magic and you know try and clean out the engine and yes of course it had oil pressure oil pressure came back and it was now 75 pounds and doing what it's supposed to do when the light was out and all was good i was hopeful i was optimistic i said hey a good repair but then when i spoke to the customer the owner you know he said gee it's kind of surprising it doesn't have oil in it do you think it's burning and i said well it's not leaking it so the only assumption i can make is that it's burning it. I said, you know, there's no sticker on the car. When was the oil changed last? This is when I knew the electric car future did not look good. Oh, I don't know. Um, It's been about a year, year and a half. When was the last time you checked the oil level? Well, why would I check the oil level? It, it had oil in it when I filled it up after the oil change. You see, the way it works, folks, is if if you're not going to change the oil, you should really check it every couple of months. I mean, common sense. All right? Of course, I kind of knew what I was dealing with. Someone that's not really, in my opinion, in tune to a vehicle because the conversation was also about why is the tire pressure light on? Well, I took the sensors out when I did the tires because they wanted $80 a piece to change sensors, and I'm too cheap for that. Okay. Oh! So you're going to drive around with a car with warning lights on. I'm surprised he brought it in for the oil pressure light. I you know and i i say to myself how is he going to react to that electric vehicle cuz understand electric vehicles are very unforgiving there is no maybe sort of might be you know we're talking about a vehicle that sensors operate within a realm of a half a millimeter if the thickness of the paint on the bumper is too thick after an accident it will affect the sensors and got to be calibrated and got to be corrected in order for that system to operate correctly. You're going to be driving rocket ships with four wheels around on the road, and and that's okay. I'm not disparaging that, but you've just – your mindset has to change. This isn't about cheap. This isn't about, well, it's not broke. I'm not going to look at it. This is going to be about due diligence, Cars are complicated. They really are. We we had a 2016 Chevy Traverse. I've been telling you about this car. I've still got it. I think it's fixed. I think I've got it correct on the right path now. With the power steering line that leaked the power steering fluid into the electrical harness because the GM engineer doesn't understand how hydraulics and copper wire doesn't mix. And... I've corrected that. I was able to find an oxygen sensor part number PT919 connector that gave me enough lead that I can, you know, and I routed it uphill. What I did was GM wants you to change the whole wiring harness. I put a different connector around with a longer lead and I routed the harness so it points straight up and then straight down. So if there is any power steering fluid in the harness buried under the insulation, which I don't think there is because it was clean. The margins were good. If it was a cancer patient, I would tell you it's good margins. You know, it's going to have to defy Isaac Newton. It's going to have to go up and come down the other side. And, and that's a separate repair unto itself. But, you know, that and the connection to the Jeep story is look at the technology required. And those cars are 11 years apart. And one had it's not a result of lack of maintenance. And the other is he just doesn't care but they're both complicated repairs. They're both involved. They both require some diagnostic. They both require some attention. Maybe if the power steering car had been brought in sooner, I you know, all kinds of crazy thoughts go through your mind. We may be getting an electric car future at some level. I don't know if we're ready for it. I don't know if we have the mindset and I encourage you. You have to look at your thinking. All right. You know, as as I tell my kids, you can't have stinky thinking. you gotta, you got to think positive. You've got to look at this and say, if you're going to embrace this technology, you've got to be ready for this technology. But we've got to be ready as a collective. And, and, and that really is the key, uh, you know, that we've got to be ready for this as a collective because it can't be, well, I'm not going to change my oil. I don't really go far. It's only been a year, only a year with no oil change. Never a mention about how many miles, and I don't think it was many, but just something to think about, all right? Just be aware. Let me pull over. Let me take the pause, and uh, we'll get some calls up because uh, that's what this show is all about. I also want to mention, I keep forgetting to mention this, we've got a book on the mid-engine Corvette we want to give away. I think we'll do that next week. So let's talk about it this week. Maybe I'll review it a little bit. The mid-engine Corvette that's just come out, we've got a copy of that beautiful book in full color, um, uh, from the publishing house and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit maybe we'll give that away we'll give that away next week I promise so um, in any event I'm Ron Annie in the car doctor eight five five we'll be back right after this don't go away
0: it's a time of year when everyone is making plans to hit the road
5: Little GTO, you really at Three and a four speed and a
0: 389. Need advice on how to maintain that classic GTO? Ron is the guy. 855
3: 560 9900. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over to Danny in Mexico City. Am I reading that right? Mexico, Mexico City? Wow, look at this. We're international, Tom. Danny, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help?
5: Yeah, thank you, Ronnie. It's a great uh, honor for me to you know be on on the line with you. Thank you very much for taking my call. You know, I just wanted to make a little comment on uh, on my take on this electric car phenomenon, if you will. Uh, I think as a, as consumers, you know, we're the ones who have the last call in the end. And uh, you know, if we make up our minds and you know just uh, you know try as much as possible not to buy into these electric cars. Uh, and then, you know, um, buying fuel-powered cars, that, I think that's one uh, of, you know, that's what's going to drive the industry in the end.
3: Well, Danny, if I can ask you, what is it like in Mexico? Do they have an electric car plan? Do they Are they pushing for it, or they're just watching at this point?
5: Well, um, we're more like observers, you know, in our neck of the woods here. Um that are electric cars, but you know they barely make up, um, you know, barely two to three percent of the uh, of the total vehicle fleet. Uh, you know, most of the electric cars here are like taxicabs and delivery vehicles. Um, but you know, the the fuel uh, powered cars are, are still king uh, here in Mexico. Uh, we don't have the infrastructure yet, uh, you know, to power all the, you know. Um, Thousands of, of electric vehicles, uh, if that were the case, uh, right. here in Mexico City. I mean, there are electric charging stations, but uh, they are very few and far between.
3: Is is Tesla in Mexico?
5: Yeah, yeah, Tesla is, is in Mexico, um, but you hardly see, you know, uh, a Tesla, you know, driving around town here at all.
3: Right. 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 So there's no formal, the government has no formal plans, no benchmark. They're not going to do this by 2035 or 2030, as the states claim they're going to. Um, You're just, as you said, being observers and kind of watching the show.
5: Yeah, or more like observers, you know, just watching the show here. And, uh, you know, the way things um, uh, play out here is basically, you know, by way of mirroring what happens in the U.S., like if it says that there's, uh, you know, regulations uh, in the U.S. as far as, like, um, you know, banning the automakers from making, you know, any more fuel-powered vehicles uh, after 2035, you know, I'd, I'd bet to say that, uh, you know, they're going to be a similar thing here, uh, you know, with the Mexican government and all, but as far as the, yeah, uh, uh, a government policy to, you know, to, um, to push manufacturers to buy electric vehicles here instead of uh, fuel-powered ones. That hasn't happened just yet. But, you know, I think as a whole, as a, as a, of uh, consumers, you know, we have the last, you know, we have the last call. You know, we're, you know, we're the ones uh, driving the, uh, the industry as the whole uh, one way or the other. I mean, yeah, I mean, manufacturers can push, you know, whatever their products they, you know, they want us to buy in the end. But uh, ultimately, if they don't buy those, Uh, electric vehicles, if we're more, uh, you know, comfortable with uh, gas-powered vehicles, you know, I think we at least have some leverage, you know, with our money, uh, you know, because we're the ones who decide in the end, you know. uh, Fair point. Fair point. Right?
3: Yeah, fair point. I I guess until the point where they say no more gas cars, then what do you do? Right? It's, it's, and I I also, my biggest concern is that they're not going to give us that Opportunity, as you so well put it, and you're correct. It's it's up to us. It's our choice as consumers. But I think too many people fall for the next flashy marble. Ooh, you know the next the next shiny bobble. We'll do this. We'll try that. And you know don't don't necessarily think about the long term consequence. And I question, you know, if 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 Mexico goes on an electric car buying ability where it's now it's electric cars in mexico and then central america south america around the world if everything is electric car you've got to think that the technology will get cheaper and more affordable but if the u.s does it on its own at what price and to whom and that's always been my sticking point and then where will the infrastructure come from which is you know a whole nother conversation uh you know? yeah
5: yeah that's right yeah so, i mean in the end uh you know for as much as you know for as much power as uh we as consumers have you know over what we buy um um if if the government you know decides to and i'm and, and i mean in a uh, global sense if the u s government or the Mexican government or any other government for that matter you know decides to uh you know push this industry down onto us uh um Ultimately, you know, we're the ones who are going to get carried away uh, by, you know, what what people will start buying. You know, it may be not uh, most of us, you know, who are introduced electric, you know, who buy into introduced electric uh, car industry or technology. But, you know, it, it only takes, us, you know, as little as, you know, just a few people buying those first cars and then, you know, uh, what will get out and then, all of a sudden, you know, just more, more and more people every single day are going to start buying more cars. Right. So, right. You, know, for all, you know, for all of us who are, like, uh, you know, gas-powered and diesel-powered uh, vehicles lovers uh, and car collectors, because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a car collector myself, and we're just going to have to play along, you know, just do what, whatever's available, and uh, if we can find a way to, you know, maintain this uh, uh, gas-powered uh, vehicle industry going, and we should call for it. I mean, at least give it a shot, right?
3: It will be, yes. Oh, absolutely. Because it'll be interesting, you know, what kind of cars are in your collection, Danny? What do you have in the garage?
5: Well, it's a 67 uh, Plymouth Valiant and uh, three Renaults. Uh, I also have a 1994 Mercury Grand Marquis, which is in new condition. Right. And, uh, and an 04 Pony a Grand Prix.
3: Do you, ever, do you ever stop to think? All nice cars, by the way. Congratulations. Do you ever stop uh, to think that, that all those collectible cars and some of the big-dollar collectible cars are going to be worthless when the electric car future gets here and there's not 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 enough gasoline or any gasoline to drive these things? And it, at, at some point... Well,
5: not as long as we let that happen. Oh. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've got to try as, uh, as hard as possible as consumers. Uh, you know, also, in the way we elect our, uh, our officials, you know, the representatives, as far as, like, uh, you know, pushing them to still keep fuel available. Right. Uh, you know, gasoline and diesel, you know, whatever's the case.
3: Um, you know what's interesting, Danny? That, you, know, you know what's really interesting? Yeah, and then I'm going to go, I'm sorry, is, and I really appreciate your call. You're very eloquent. You speak well. I, I I think you make some excellent points. What's really interesting is no matter where you go, you're in Mexico. We're in the, we're in the States. No matter where you go, people are just people trying to do their job provide for their families live every day and we all have the same concerns right you're concerned about electric vehicles the electric car future what about gasoline powered cars what will their value be how does it affect the industry danny i really appreciate your call and uh god bless and be safe my friend you uh you call us back anytime i'm ron Anini and in the car doctor i'll be back right after this don't go away Welcome back, We're on The Car Doctor. Let's uh, and, and again, I want to say thank you to Danny. Great call from Mexico, right? Um, just good, solid information. I really love it when you guys call up and The Car Doctor Nation calls up and uh, expresses your thoughts like that. And, um, you know, we encourage you more to do that because we want to hear it from all sides. We think it's a great way to exchange information. Let's go over to Jimmy in Maine, 99 Suburban, and some uh, hard start problems. Jimmy, welcome to The Car Doctor. So yes. I'm Ron and Annie, and how can I help? Yeah, well,
4: let's call it... Uh During the summer months, my suburban runs good. I do not have a problem with the full battery. And when it comes with the time, because I have a plow on it, aftermarket plow, and uh, it won't start up in the cold weather. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the reason is. And now this past winter, I couldn't run the vehicle because I kept running the the starter, I kept running and running, but it wouldn't kick on. It sounded like it didn't get fuel. Okay. And then in the springtime, now when the days warmed up, I went back in the car, I recharged the battery, and it started right up on the first turn.
3: Does this car have plates on it, Jimmy? Do you drive this on the road? What does it? Do you drive this on the road? Does this car have plates?
4: no 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 i can't drive it on the road because it's just a a plow truck for my property
3: cleaning the snow yeah that's what i kind of thought so it's probably good and rusty
4: yes yeah a little bit
3: yeah i can imagine so you know we start talking about and this is a gas-powered right a 5.7 liter v8 gas-powered suburban yes so we start talking about hard starts on that generation truck the first thing you want to look at is fuel pressure. All right, and the fuel pressure, fuel pressure. It's got and uh-huh. it's got. It's got to be exact. The spec key on engine off. You turn the key to the on position. You have to have sixty to sixty-six pounds. If it's 59, oh, okay. If it's fi- Danny, I'm sorry, uh, Jimmy. If it's if it's if it's fifty-nine pounds, it won't start. It's that critical. All right. Typically, typically you'll see it. When they're bad, when the pumps go bad, for some reason they drop a couple of pounds, you'll see 55, 56, and everybody says, oh, that's okay. No, that's not okay. It's got to be 66. All right? The other thing that goes wrong with those trucks is this has the intake manifold with the injector spider underneath it. And there's more than a few bulletins out there for specific hard start problems for this vehicle that they want you to overhaul and replace the injection spider. And uh-huh. you know, kind of costly, especially on something this age. But that is also a consideration. But I think if you do a fuel pressure test, you're going to know right away because it's either got fuel pressure or it doesn't. The other thing, right, the, right. Th- the other thing, but all was, during the summer, when I was starting
4: it up just to keep it running, it started up right away as soon sure. as I turned the key.
3: Right, because when it's called out, when it's called out, the engine requires more fuel. And it sometimes will also, those those poppet valves on the in, spider under the intake will stick when they're cold, especially in the extreme cold of Maine. I'm sure it's not Florida up by you where you are. You think it has
4: something to do with the fuel pump, not, not getting the right temperature?
3: Well, the fuel pump itself is probably failing. Is it original? Yes, it's original. Right. That's why I say check fuel pressure. The other thing I want you to think about is because of the age of the truck, and how you're using it under such conditions. You know, somebody's got to look at vehicle grounds, the three most critical grounds on that truck to cause that to go into a crank no start condition. And I've seen it vary by temperature. There are two ground eyelets attached to the back of the intake manifold on the passenger side. You have to get on top of the engine, lay with your belly on the engine and shove your head down between the, the distributor and the firewall. When your head starts to hurt, and you're crushing your lobe on your right side you're in the right spot you should look down and make sure that that ground eyelet is attached and it's good clean and tight the second place and then when you get your head over there well and then when you get over there jimmy look to your right and you'll see the ground lug attached to the top of the bell housing bolt on the other side of the engine those three grounds there's two on one side one on the other those three grounds are critical And there's a gang of ground connections. I think they're 102 and 103 under the left side of the frame rail under the driver's foot, so to speak. Make sure that's a good clean contact. Last, the last thing to think about. If it turns out fuel pressure's good, grounds are good, and it's just giving you a hard start cold, and you've been through the mill and you've looked at all the obvious. Inside the distributor, okay, the distributor on uh-huh. those the, the the ignition distributor runs a pickup coil with a tone ring that tone ring yeah. is riveted in place that's actually the magnet for the pickup coil and what i've seen is i'll take the distributor out pull the shaft out you turn it upside down look at the two rivets that hold the magnet and the tone ring together the magnet's cracked uh-huh. the magnet cracks from age and, oh, okay. and, and what, Alrighty. what that will do is that will interrupt the signal to the pickup coil not so much temperature effective i've seen it where it can be but it will cause duress and if that ignition system isn't a hundred percent it can do a lot of funny things so you want right, to you know, that's right. something that you're never going to find in any textbook so that's something to be aware of as well all right okay thank you very much you're very welcome jimmy you be well um yeah, just just stuff to think about and look at, you know, real quick, I want to just talk about this for a quick second before we take the pause. Right to repair. Um, recent article came out talking about and Kevin O'Reilly wrote about it, it shouldn't cost the farm to fix a tractor in um, uh, The Wall Street Journal talking about the right to repair policy. And people are saying that it's unfair as a matter of fact, Uh, There's a comment in the recent article by Dennis Slater where he talks about that the right to repair is forcing manufacturers to release their proprietary information to the public. And he further goes on to say a modern day tractor weighs over 150,000 pounds on average. And if criminals tamper with the equipment's back end code, it poses dangerous safety and emission threats to the public. Uh, You know, Dennis, I don't know that anybody's going to take a tractor and commit an act of terrorism. I don't know that they could actually do that. I'm not so worried about somebody stealing my 150,000-pound tractor and doing something with it. I'm more concerned about the American farmer having the ability to repair that vehicle on safe and equal ground. One of the things that clouds everybody's judgment, in my opinion, and I think I'm qualified to talk about this as the guy with a repair shop for 45 years, is the right to repair puts an undue pressure on the consumer on where they're forced to get their vehicle serviced, whether it's a tractor or an automobile. And even now, some of the states that have had successful right-to-repair legislation passed, Massachusetts comes to mind, you know, it's still very expensive for an independent repair shop to operate, and those expenses get passed on to the consumers, and then the consumer's no choice. Either they buy a new car, they go without, or they go back to the dealer, and that's expensive. Bottom line, auto repair is expensive, There's enough cars for everybody to go around. And if we all started pulling the boat in the same direction rather than opposite ends, I think we'd uh, get a lot further faster than what we're trying to accomplish. Just my thoughts, my opinion. I value yours. You got any comments, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. And uh, I'll be glad to talk about it up here on air with you anytime. Let me pull over and take a pause. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.
0: It's a time of year when everyone is making plans to hit the road.
4: Back the First, the seats.
3: In the down the welcome the back, Ron Naney, The Car Doctor here at 855 Let's get over to Thomas in Connecticut, 04 Jeep Grand Cherokee, and see what's going on here. Thomas, welcome to The Car Doctor, sir. How can I help?
4: Thank
1: you very much. Um, I've got a, well, you just said it. Um, I've got a left turn signal that's giving me nothing but a problem. The, uh, the unit was replaced about a month ago, but it intermittently works, and then it doesn't work, and then starts working again, and I don't have a clue what this could be.
3: When you say the left, is it, is it both bulbs on the left side, front um, and back?
1: Well, it's actually the, t- I think it's the turn signal itself. Uh, all, the, all the bulbs and everything are working on the left-hand side, both front and back.
3: Okay, so in other, words, in other words, you, t- you turn on the left turn signal, and neither one lights up at either end of the car?
1: Correct, on the, on the left-hand side, but the right one does work, and the, um, the garage in question where we took it to had replaced the, um, the entire unit uh, in the steering column. So I'm not sure what's going on there.
3: Okay, so they changed, they changed the, the, the stalk-mounted switch on the column. Correct. All right. First of all.
1: Uh, with a new one, and it's still doing the same,
3: okay. same deal. Did, did they do any kind of diagnosis, or was this a seat-of-the-pants, hey, it's got to be the switch thing?
1: Uh, no, I think they did do a diagnosis, and uh, but... Then replace the unit, and you know, I just don't know what okay. what else it could be.
3: Well, there's a directional flasher tucked under the dash on the left side, up kind of like where your left knee would be into the dashboard. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you crawled under the dashboard, another one, another head turner like the suburban ground. If you if you turned your head in such a way that you had to go to the chiropractor afterwards because it's in such a painful spot. You'll see yep. it. There's a cluster of relays in the dash junction box, and it's the tallest of the, of the cluster as long as it hasn't been replaced, if it's still the original Chrysler flasher. And that has a separate signal sense for left and a separate signal sense for right. And I've seen a, quite a few cases where switches are changed erroneously, if they're not diagnosed, in that it's a problem with the flasher, not a problem with the switch. I've also seen where it's both, but you know that flasher is there, and that is part of the circuit and, and a common component to fail. And I will tell you this, my experience has been, because it's an electronic flasher, that if you can still get one out of Chrysler, that's your better choice because that's going to be a better part at this point in the game. Electronics gotcha. are just getting tougher and tougher to deal with.
1: I know I understand, thank you.
3: you know as they as they get older, um, there's there's less and less components available. Uh, you know, but I would I would clearly take a look at that. The other thing I'd be curious to see, I don't know if it'd be there in o four, but just for the point of conversation, I'd love to hook a scan tool into it and go into the body module or the front front end cluster, as Chrysler calls it sometimes and look to see, does it have output signal or any input requests from the switch or an output signal coming from the flasher? You know, you could turn the... You know, uh, uh, Thomas, you can check some of the weirdest things on a scan tool that, you know, everybody thinks is just for a check engine light, and it's it's coming down to where you look at everything. Um, gotcha. In, in my opening comments today, I was talking about the 06 Jeep Commander. I was looking at the oil pressure switch circuit on a scan tool, looking at inputs. Uh, you know okay. it's, it's there. So it's it's always a good place to start. But I bet they're gonna find, if they haven't looked at it, that it's got a flasher issue. If it has an aftermarket flasher, I don't want to condemn it, but I would tell you to test that circuit and either power it up individually, does it feed out? Do they get a signal from the turn signal switch? If they do, then that flasher's not working, whether it's new used aftermarket or otherwise, but um, flashers are very common, and they are on that vehicle. A lot of people forget that. All right, sir? Gotcha. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Good luck, and if you need more, you know where to find me and uh, uh, let me know what happens. Yeah, um, listen, uh, you know, give me a broken car, we'll fix it. That's the name of that should, that should be the name of the next show. Give me a broken car, we'll figure out what's wrong with it. Well, that's probably too long to fit in the subtitles, So, but um, that really is the crux of it. I don't care what it is, it can be fixed. 855-560-9900, Ron and Andy, The Car Doctor, coming back right after this.
0: It's a time of year when everyone is making plans to hit the road.
3: Welcome back, Ron and Andy, The Car Doctor. Well, that was a quick hour, right? Um, just a reminder, 855-560-9900 is The Car Doctor's phone number. You can call, leave a message. And uh, if you missed us this, this hour, we've got one more coming up on uh, many local affiliates and as well as uh, available for podcast afterwards. You can just Google the name, but um, you can find us at 855-560-9900. Leave a message. And executive producer, chief cook and bottle washer, Tom Ray, will uh, get you in the next live broadcast. And uh, be glad to up here. Glad to have you up here to talk to you. Um, Corvette Stingray, the mid-engine re- revolution from the folks at Motorbooks, published by Motorbooks, is out now. The um, And I can't, you know, radio is not the place to release this book. It's just the color and the detail and the, the depth of uh, technical photographs and explanations and how this vehicle came to light. And a lot of history on the Corvette back from its little beginnings in 1953, 54, it documents how it talks about in the early years. And some of the engineers, Arcus Duntov is in there. Ed Cole is in this book. And the color pictures just, I can't do them justice here. All I can tell you is if if you're a Corvette lover, um, you want to get your hands on this, perhaps with Father's Day coming up and. uh, Maybe somebody's birthday coming up. You want to get your hands on this book, Corvette Stingray: The Mid-Engine Revolution, or, or, you want to be around next week because we've got a copy. We're giving away a brand new, clean in the bubble wrap copy uh, on next week's show, either first hour or second hour, and uh, choice of Tom Ray will be. It's up to Tom. I always let Tom make the decision. But um, it's just kind of neat. This is the eighth generation Chevrolet. Has done more than raise the bar. Move the goalpost. The press release continues. They've torn down the stadium and started from scratch for the first time ever. In a production version, the new Corvette features a mid-engine configuration. Although Corvette engineers have experimented with this engine placement over the past several decades, 2020 marks the first time GM has committed it to a production car. It really is kind of amazing. If you want to see something more about the mid-engine Corvette, go out to YouTube and just search on YouTube 2020 mid-engine Corvette assembly plant. Watch how they put these things together. It's crazy. Uh, you know, and it's it's just got such such deep roots. It's it's going to really eliminate any performance barrier. It will, as the press release goes on to say, take on supercar rivals like Ferrari, Lamborghini, and McLaren. Chevrolet has experimented with mid-engine platforms for legendary sports cars since the 50s. Now it's reality. Corvette Stingray, the mid-engine revolution, takes the reader from those early prototypes through the design and engineering process used to create today's Corvette Stingray Supercars, the Corvette story all enthusiasts will want in the automotive library. I couldn't agree more, but I will tell you this. If it's got wheels and an engine, sooner or later, it's going to break. And then you know what it needs? Like I always tell you, I'm Ron and the car doctor, reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.